0: Let's get right at it this morning. When you came in, uh, you were able to pick up a sheet that looks like this. It says at the top, being married. And uh, that is our listening guide for today. It's also on your app and you can look it up there if you prefer to do that. I brought a book with me this morning, a great big one. It says, Understanding the Times on the front. And uh, you're looking at it and saying, is he gonna refer to and read everything in that book? No, I'm not. It is kind of a thick book, but I just wanted to show you this title here, Understanding the Times. This was written in 1991, and it was pretty much the it book for pastors. You know, it was just something, you know, everybody was saying, you just gotta have this because you're ministering in different times. Times are different, times are changing. And so you really got to have it. Well, I was thumbing through this, some of the stuff we were reading about at that time. (laughs) And to tell you the truth, I can't believe it was even, I mean, it's not even an issue. Nobody's even talking about some of these things. But if they were to rewrite this book today and hand it out, it would be about that thick. How many of you find the times in which we're living a little bit confusing? Just raise your hand. And having some understanding is vital. Well, what I want to tell you is this. We do need to understand the times, and what that is, is that the times are dark. First Chronicles 12 32 says the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times, they knew what Israel ought to do. We certainly need that. But beyond understanding the times, what we really need is to understand the truth. Here's a Bible verse on truth that is so important. I was reading and I actually pulled this out of my own devotions this week. Uh, Proverbs twenty three twenty three says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth, purchase the truth, get a hold of the truth and hold on to it. In another passage, it says that truth has fallen in the streets. Understand the times, understand the truth. Here's another one, understand our task. That is, we are supposed to be the ones that are offering light and salt to the world. Is that not true? That's who Christians are. We are the salt, we are the light in the world. In order to do that, we're gonna have to do this. We're gonna have to not take our cues from the culture. We're not gonna be able to take our cues from, you know, the ideologues at the universities and at the elite schools of learning. No, we can't take our cues from there. Listen to the word of God. It says in Isaiah 8:20, it says, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Well, we're in a period of darkness. Spiritual darkness is thick, and we need the law and the testimony. That is the word of God. Another verse, I want you to write these references down. You need them. Isaiah 820, I just read you that verse. And then this verse, Romans chapter 4 and verse number 3. It says this, I just love this phrase, For what does the scripture say? And it goes on to say, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But just think about that introductory phrase there. In dealing with whatever's happening in life, what does the scripture say? The old King James, what saith the scriptures? What does God say? Well, that ought to be the first response for every believer as we face life and face what's going on. What has God said? Because I just want to put everybody on alert. What God has said and what God has declared is not up for change. God's word is finished forever, O oh Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven. So, I just want to give you that this morning. And that's why we're doing this series. We want to apply that unchanging truth... We want to look at the unchanging truth of the word of God in this series we're calling By Design. So let's pick it up right where Pastor Matt left it off last week. He spoke to us from Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27. Uh, He told us that God made man in his own image and he granted man dignity and honor and authority and a capacity for a relationship with him and with each other. Even after the fall, he pointed out beautifully that mankind still exists as the crown jewel of God's creation. He, mankind, men and women are image bearers of God. And mankind, men and women still have the responsibility to manage and reign over God's creation. We manage God's creation. We do not worship God's creation. We worship God. So I want to just pick it up right there and continue today. He talked about last week being human. I want to pick it up and talk about the next step, and that is being Married. So I'd like you to take your Bible and go to the classic passage if, passage, if you would. And for lack of time this morning, I'm going to read it to you, but I'd like you to stand. And I'd like you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to have you read a section at the end of my reading. But I'm going to read the main part of it to you this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin with just the portion there, that simple phrase in verse 21. And we'll read down through the end, and I'll tell you when to join me In reading, let me begin. Uh, Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. Now join me and read through verse 33 beginning at verse number 28. Ready? So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones." her husband, very familiar passage. I'm going to look at it not with anything new, but with a new emphasis this morning. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word today. Thank you for all that are here today, and I pray that it would be applied as we listen and be guided by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So I read that passage as uh, for this reason, because I'm going to kind of dock this sermonic ship. If I can at that location at the end, but we're going to kind of dance back through the scriptures and we're going to look at it now at the outset this morning The name of the sermon is being married. It's an issue of submission Not the submission you're thinking of a completely different submission and we're going to look at it We're going to talk about the submission of verse number 21 not the submission of the following verses We're going to look at verse number 21 as a main point and then uh, of course emphasize verse 31 in just a few moments so at the outset, I need to ask you, don't turn me off. If you're single, single again, or widowed, our series that we're working on right now has to do with examining God's design. Our world is very confused about many things, not the least of which is about the idea of marriage and what it actually is. So what we're teaching and talking about uh, in this series have, uh, has huge implications for our culture and for civilization itself. I think we can say this, that the world needs a very large dose of Christian salt and life by the way we live, amen? It really does. We really, the world really needs a strong dose of true salt and light Christianity. Now, singleness has its own dignity and purposes in God's plan. And we could talk about that, but I'm not going to park on that this morning because the subject is marriage as an entity, marriage as an an establishment by God. And we're going to look at the purpose of it and what God is doing in it. All I will say about singleness is this. I am very thankful that Adam and Eve did not have the gift of singleness. Aren't you? (laughs) Because here we are. Okay. So Our subject today is marriage as God designs it. And the title that being married is an issue of submission. I want you to relax. It's not the one that you normally think of, though I would preach that on another occasion. But I want us to look at this submission that is spoken of in verse number 21, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, submitting to one another. That is wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, brothers and sisters in Christ to brothers and sisters in Christ, but most of all submitting to The truth. So let's look at this and let me give you some thoughts this morning. Go right back to Genesis chapter 1 where Pastor Matt read last week because we're going to dance through the scriptures and we're going to look at this idea that I think is so incredibly important. Uh, uh, Number one, I want you to write down on your sheet. First thing we need to do is submit to God's plan of procreation. Submit to God's plan of procreation. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image According to our likeness Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea Over the birds of the air And over the cattle And over all the earth And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth So God created man in his own image In the image of God He created him Male and female He created them Matt nailed it last week on that issue Verse 28 then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What we read last week in those verses talks about this. It talks about, beginning in verse 1, all the way down through where we just read, it talks about the fact that God was, in, was creating environments and making provisions and creating and placing inhabitants within those environments. And everything that God was doing, God was doing perfectly. Because everything God does is perfect. And each of those days, he finished those days saying, and it was perfect good because God is good and God does good. Psalm 119 verse 68. That's what he is. God is good and God does good. So Pastor Matt said, when he got to the sixth day, he made man and woman. He made male and female, and it was a good thing. He beautifully talked about how we need to celebrate maleness and femininity, how we need to tell our children, little little girls, you are a little girl. When you grow up, you will be a woman. Let's celebrate and and just love the awesome nature of that. And it is a wonderful thing. And he said to your little boys, he, he went through this. It was just beautiful in saying we need to say that in this culture, we need to hammer it and talk about it. now. But I want you to see something this morning back in Genesis chapter 1. There once again in that very first chapter. It says in verse 26 and 27, we read it how he created man in his own image. And in verse 28, I want to emphasize. Then God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Connected with it, right with this male and female thing. The very next verse he says something significant. He says the first directive that he gave them, he gave Adam and Eve and he says, look, I am blessing you and I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I'm giving you the earth as your domain. You've got animals and herbs and plants and fruits and vegetables and all are supplied for you to be able to obey this directive that I'm giving you. The question rises, why do you think God told them to fill the earth with people? Well, I think the answer is obvious. He wanted to share his glory. In fact, if you read Ephesians chapter 2, God's going to talk about his grace and glory and sharing it with us throughout all of eternity and it's going to take all of eternity for us to even get a glimpse of all the glory that God has given. He's going to share his glory. Not only that, think about this when he created man in the first place in Psalms 8 he said, "He crowned man and the son of man with glory and honor and he made them a little lower than the heavenly beings." So, He's wanting to share his glory. Yes, he's wanting icons. He is wanting representatives. He's wanting his image all over the earth. But in addition, he wants to share with mankind his glory, his greatness, his goodness, and he wants us to reign with him. In fact, at the consummation of all things, when we come to the end, that's going to be the eternal state. Ruling and reigning with God for all of eternity over everything that he has made. And so God formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being, that's verse seven. And he made the man of the same raw material that he made all of the other creatures. Now this is a little technical, but listen to it anyway. Uh, he made mankind of the same materials that he made all the animals, but they're not the same. He literally became nephesh or nepez, which means a living being. It says that God breathed his ruach and that literally means his life-giving breath into man and then man was complete. He was body, he was soul, and he was spirit. Let's make it really practical. Every single time that a baby comes and is born into this world and they get swatted on the bottom and he takes that first breath, that first breath, little girl, little boy, they are breathing in the ruach of God that God gave Adam at the very beginning of creation. So life goes on because God gave it. Life itself, the breath that you breathe in is the very breath, the life of God. What are you saying, Pastor Phil? Well, this, God's plan was and is for the earth to be inhabited and full of people. There are social engineers that would like to diminish the numbers of humans on the earth today. They'd like to cut the numbers by any means possible. That is the dirty little secret of Planned Parenthood and their founder, Margaret Sanger. Eugenics was not a recent thing it was way back in the 30s, 20s and 30s with Margaret Sanger it was a plan She wanted to orchestrate who can have children who gets sterilized and who gets eliminated That's not God's plan. I just want to make an announcement. God loves people and he's made a lot of them God loves humanity. He loves people. He loves his image bearers. The Bible says for God so loved the what? world. How much did he love them? That he gave his only son to redeem them from the fall and from their sin. Now, let me expound on this just a little bit more. Let me think about this. You remember that the earth was, the people on the earth were destroyed in what? What were they destroyed? They were destroyed in a great catastrophe called the flood and they were destroyed. And why? Well, the wickedness became up before God and it was the thoughts of man were continually only evil in his heart and it repented God that he even even made man, but he didn't destroy them all. He took Noah who found grace in his sight and his wife and his three sons and their mates and he put them on the ark. And at the the time that they came off of the ark, here's what was said to them in Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and he said this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There it is again, be fruitful and multiply. I want to tell you something again and reiterate it. God likes people. And he likes lots of people. Now, let me give you this. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it's followed by verse 28, which says that God is blessing people, and the fruit of that blessing is procreation. It's more people. So let me just say this. A, not the only, but a main objective of humanity is is there be plenty of people on the earth. Mankind was placed on the earth to be its caretaker. Takes a lot of people, not its servant. The earth... And all of creation is the display of God's glory, and the earth is God's provision for man. It is his place to be. This is so simple. Somebody said, Pastor, would you please tell us something that's not so simple? Well, sometimes it's getting completely mixed up in our world today, but God made man, and he put him on the earth, and he wants to share his glory with him, and he gave us a place to be. And it's simple stuff. It's as plain as the nose on our faith. There's more to marriage, I know, than procreation, than having children. I know that. I know there's more to it than that. But marriage is the place and the vehicle and the, and the way that God wants children brought into the world through a committed relationship between a man and a woman. That's marriage, and it's the nest where children and propagation are supposed to happen. So important. God ordained it. We learn in chapter two that marriage is also for companionship and it's for teamwork, teammates and co-workers. It's for the place where males and females find joy and contentment and pleasure and completion. But that's another sermon. Today I'm just talking about marriage itself. The second thing I want to mention to you after after we submit to God's plan, plan of procreation, we need to submit to the truth of human Procreation. I told you a few moments ago, Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. Don't let it go, hold on to it. We need to submit to the truth of procreation. Genesis 4, verses one and two says this, Adam knew his wife Eve, she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. You say, well, why are you mentioning that? Well, he knew her, that is in an intimate way. They had physical relationship and because of that, children were born. I could go all over the Bible and talk about this point. Every genealogical list in the Bible, and there are many of them, are evidences of this fact. They're evidence and celebration of the fact that a man and a woman came together intimately and a child or children were born. This is how babies come into the world. It is the best way, it's the right way, and it takes a man and a woman according to God's order and command. and they are married, they are committed by covenant to one another for a lifetime for the good of the children that come into the home and this is the truth. The truth is is God made men and He made women and He put them together in a monogamous, long life, lifelong relationship so that Babies could be born Read Malachi chapter 2 sometime And see what you think About what God really says Is what he wants in godly marriages And you'll find out It's so very, very important This is the truth Now folks, it is preposterous For a sitting Supreme Court justice To refuse to give the definition of a woman Because of political situations It is ridiculous For otherwise intelligent people To boast that surgical intervention Through surgical intervention, men can have babies and women can impregnate one another or even surgically altered men can have babies as well. Now look, we can get radical. We can sometimes clarify things on the extremes. Surgically, you can do all kinds of things, I'm sure. 30 years ago, the technology wasn't there. We wouldn't be having this discussion, but now it's because of technology and the internet and the amount of information we're doing things that we never even dreamed of doing. I told Jeff Lang on the way in this morning, I said, Jeff, I cannot even believe I'm preaching what I'm preaching this morning because 30 or 40 years ago, nobody even thought there was anything other than marriage like it's supposed to be. Think about this. We can get radical and we can clarify. You know, you can surgically do all kinds of things. For instance... You could surgically have your hands removed from your arms and put on the bottom of your legs and have your feet taken off of the bottom of your legs and put them on your arms, but it'd be a little abnormal or weird. It'd make picking your nose a whole lot harder, but putting your foot in your mouth a whole lot easier. I know that sounds ridiculous. I mean, God knew what he was doing, folks. He really did. I mean, did you ever stop thinking about this? Aren't you glad your nose isn't on top of your head so that every time it rains that you don't drown? (laughs) There's order in this whole thing. God knows exactly what he is doing. God's will is for a man and a woman To make lifelong commitments to one another And to bear children It is the blessing of God When our homes are blessed with children I'm not going to go there But Psalm 123, 127 verse 3 and following Says blessed is the home uh, who, Where there are blessed with many children In fact when you're quiver That is your, you know, the, the high, as many as you can hold When it's full of them Psalm 128 verse 3 to 6 says something about the wife is like a fruitful vine. It's a wonderful blessing when the wife is like a fruitful vine and that the little children are the plants all around the table. I mean, it's kind of a picturesque thing. There are many women today like Hannah who long to have children but are not able to for a long time or never. Some wives are never able to have children from their own bodies but we live at a time now where there are many women and men Who don't look at having children as a blessing, but as a hindrance to their lifestyle. They have things they want to do. They have places they want to go, experiences they want to have. And kids will just get in the way. I just want you to know that that's not just common among unbelievers. That's common among many, many believers. Carl Truman, we keep mentioning him in his book, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self talks about the incredible shift among believers away from thinking God's, thinking of God's will and the people who live around us and only thinking of themselves and what they want to do and what will bring them the greatest satisfaction and happiness. Folks, I want to tell you regarding all of what's going on in the world today, regarding all of the surgeries and the transgenderism, I want to tell you this. The ultimate rejection of God is to reject how and what God made you as a man or a woman and tell God you don't like what he did and that you want to do something different. That's not just I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body and I just think I've got to be able to be the authentic me and everything. No, 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 no. It's telling God himself, I do not like what you did and I'm doing something different. There's two great rejections that you can have in life. One is to reject the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary as he died and poured out his blood to save you from your sin and to say, I hear it, I know about it, but I don't want it. That's rejection. And then the rejection to say, and by the way, whatever you're doing and whatever you did, I reject it. I'm gonna do what I wanna do and be what I wanna be. Adam had relations with his wife not just anyone, not under any other circumstances. And he had children, not under manufactured circumstances. Let me go ahead and tell you where I stand on this. You know, I know I have a hard time being clear. And sometimes people wonder where I stand because I'm like a weather vane. You know, I don't just come out and just say it. (laughs) You know, that's not true. But I just want to just come right out and just be honest with you this morning. Two women cannot procreate and should not play mom and dad to children by any other means. Two men cannot procreate and should not play mom and dad to children by any other means. You say, that is very, very offensive. Boy, you know, sometimes the truth is offensive. But I just want to tell you the truth because in the long run, the best thing and the most friendly thing I can ever do to anybody is to tell them the truth. By the way, the gospel has got to wound you before it can heal you. It's got to leave you lost and undone before it can save your soul. I am totally today for this. Mommies and daddies have children. And I am totally for sex education. I am all about sex education. I think that sex education ought to be left up to mom and dad. And I think they ought to take it over for good. And I think they need to tell this perverted society to step back and stay out of their life. Teach your children what they need to know about Intimacy and when it happens and how it happens and what are the circumstances of it. Amen, Pastor Phil. Number three, submit to reality regarding our anatomy. Now, I'm not drawing pictures and I don't have anything up on the screen this morning. I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to go down that way. But we need to submit to reality regarding our anatomy. Genesis two, verse 21 to 25 talks about this. When God created man, he made him out of the dust of the ground. When he created the woman, he took her from the side of man. He did not take her from his head in order that she might, that he might lord it over her. She, he did not take her from his feet so that he might trample over her. But he took her from his side, close to his heart in order that she might be his companion and he might love and care for her. God. Was the first anesthesiologist. He performed the first surgery. The word tesela is the word translated rib in that passage of scripture and is translated 35 more times in the Old Testament and every other time it's translated side. In the Old Testament, she's not just bone, she is bone and flesh. God made woman and brought her to the man. What did Adam do when he first saw Eve? Well, he got poetic. Most men have a moment of poetry at some time in their life whenever they're dating and they finally find the one that God has for them. Well, he got poetic. He said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Time and again in the Old Testament, that phrase is mentioned to show the close relationship. And so Adam named his wife woman because she was taken out of man. Woman. Man. The the male man is the word ish, I-S-H in Hebrew, ish, isha, I-S-H-A is the woman, man, ish, isha, woman, you know what it means? Soft, isha, soft, isha means soft, that's what Adam thought, well, she's different, I mean she's like me, she kind of talks like me, walks like me, does what I do and everything but she's different She's soft. She's like me, but she is different. She's compatible. And so this is what he thought. Now, folks, we're in the midst of various firestorms today in our culture regarding transgenderism, especially in the area, and it's playing out most visibly in the area of sports and athletics. Men who can't really compete with other men... Are taking hormones, having surgeries, changing their voices, and putting on lipstick so that they can compete against women. You know who's upset? Feminists. Furious because it's setting women back. Get this renowned doctors and biologists. Now, I didn't even bother with a list, I saw a list of like 60. Doctors, biologists, and renowned teachers at major colleges and medical schools all around the country are being fired. Why? Because they dare say that the gender of a person cannot be changed at the DNA and molecular level. They're losing their jobs in droves because it doesn't fit the narrative that is becoming increasingly popular. You see, you have to love the truth. You know what I'm saying? A narrative is being increasingly propagated that denies reality and propagates the idea that you could be anything you want to be. You know, be anything you wanna be, join the army. Well, I, I get that, I understand that. But we really can't be anything we want to be. What? What? What's next, a horse? Or how about a giraffe? I wanna be a giraffe, let's get genetically altered so I can be, or how about a water moccasin? <laughs> You know the passage of scripture that is most hated and often most rejected by the society. In fact, um, you can't preach from Romans one in Canada now without getting uh, without getting arrested. At least there are some who have been arrested for preaching the word of God from Romans chapter one. I want to just read you a little bit of the word of God from Romans chapter one here, and I'm not this is this is not uh, I'm not trying to be a t- I'm not trying to attack or be aggressive or be unkind. I just want to read you black ink on white paper from God's word. Listen to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what was against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one for another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds. To do those things which are not fitting. And it goes on and lists all kinds of sins that are the result of that. Verse 32, I'll finish, says Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same things, but also approve of those who practice them. What is the great cry today? Acceptance, affirmation, approval. Equity, equality, inclusiveness, diversity, it's nonstop. Well, there's a lot of those words that are wonderful in, in the right circumstance, but this whole idea of requiring affirmation of what God has called an abomination is problematic. If we were to look at the entire passage, we would look at verse 26 is kind of where I began, but if you looked at the entire passage back at verse 18 and following, you would find out that mankind has gone from very intelligent to then being indifferent toward God, not really caring what he thought, to being ignorant of God. The indifference led to ignorance because nobody was emphasizing the importance of knowing God to then being indecent before God, to finally reducing and descending. This is not the ascent of man. This is the descent of man. To descending to a place of despicable, morally reprehensible, insane behavior. Not behaving as if one is in possession of all of his faculties. God gave them over to a, listen to these words, debased, depraved or reprobate, depends on which version of the Bible you have, minds, and they do things in insane ways. So folks, what I want you to do is let's get real here. Boys and girls are both fearfully and wonderfully made, both bear the image of God, both play a vital role in God's design. And by God's design, men are men, women are women, and together they pass the breath the breath of life to the next generation. Men and women. And they do it in a monogamous, lifelong, promissory relationship in which they've tried to make sure that their union sticks together so that the children have every benefit of knowing the truth and growing up and being able to likewise carry on life and civilization in the future. Number four, and I'll only mention it submit to history because we are in unchartered water. We need to submit to history. Every culture, people, group, nation, and government has recognized marriage as being between a man and a woman until a few years back. I'm not saying that sodomy, homosexuality, and lesbianism did not exist because they have existed before the giving of the Old Testament law. People have behaved badly since the Garden of Eden but marriage has been the bedrock foundation for civilization since the beginning. And I just wanna declare marriage is good, families are good, commitment is good, and the first form of societal government is the family structure of parents and children. The second form of civil government, and it is civil government, its primary purpose is to protect and provide for families to function freely in their jobs. Our forefathers knew this. At the Gettysburg Address, President Lincoln said uh, that uh, our forefathers knew it. It's of the people, by the people, and for the people. It seems that our world is increasingly rejecting God, ignoring the truth, denying reality, dismissing history, and they're doing it in favor of godlessness. We've referred to Carl Truman's book, and I'm listening to the unabridged version, which is like, I don't know how many hours long, And in it, he says time and again, he says ultimately it's humanism on steroids and it's basically saying that the measure of all things is what a man wants and what makes him happy and he is God. Started in Genesis chapter three. Hmm. So submit to history. Uh, We are living in a sexual revolution, an alternative lifestyle that is based on make believe and not the truth. Finally, and this is the most important thing I'll say to you today, we need to submit to oneness, oneness as God's original design. And so we end up now at our Ephesians passage, oneness. And I'm just going to dance through the scriptures with you for a few moments here about this oneness, unity, and harmony. And the first place I want to look, not only was Genesis 1 that we looked at, but I want to look at this verse, which is the Shema And that is Deuteronomy 6, 4. You don't need to hunt it up, just listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God is one. This is not a denial of the Trinity, but a statement of unity and community. In Genesis 1, Elohim is the word that is used for God and it's plural. In Genesis 1, it says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, these are plural pronouns. The Trinity, it's a statement of the it's a statement of unity, not a denial of the Trinity. Genesis 2.24, one of the most important verses oft repeated in the New Testament. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One, one flesh. The emphasis on the permanency of the bond. No longer two, but one. That is not the loss of individual value. It is the addition and the cementing of a bond that will result in more life and the best scenario in which to bring that life to be. Jesus reiterated it again in Matthew 19, verse four to six. Matthew 19, whenever he was being just really hammered by the Pharisees who loved to get rid of their wives, was just like you think serial marriages. Man, they really had them. They'd get rid of them for any reason. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It's amazing how many times Jesus went back to the beginning. Folks, so many things are settled from Genesis chapter one through 11. We ought to just be students of Genesis one through 11 because so many things in life are settled there. God's plan is very simple. It's one man and one woman for a lifetime to which children are born and life continues. Now, I'm not here today to take up the subject of divorce. I'm not trying to beat you up today if you've been through this heartbreak of divorce. I'm trying to set the record straight about what God's design of marriage actually is. If you've been through that heartbreak, I'm not talking, don't go back and undo things, but here's what you can do. You can start today and recommit yourself in what you, you can recommit yourself in your heart to your mate and to your children because we are talking about oneness unity, harmony, love, and the sacrifice that it takes to keep that harmony going. Ephesians 1, 9, it goes on and on. This oneness idea, this unity idea. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, Jesus said he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both what's in heaven and what is on the earth. Oneness. God loves unity. God loves harmony. God loves oneness. God loves compatibility. God loves that. Today it seems that people in the world loves division, disunity at every level, and they're working as hard as they can because the father of this world, the ruler of this world, the great Apollyon, the destroyer. He loves disunity, he loves hatred, he loves strife, and he loves to separate people. Ephesians 2, I can't read the whole chapter, but it talks about the mystery wherein Jews and Gentiles who have perpetually been enemies, what are they made in Christ Jesus? They are made one. We're going to talk about it in John 17, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus as he's getting ready to go to the cross and then go back to the Father. He says, Father, please make them one. Unity. It's a theme. It goes all the way through the scriptures. Husbands, now listen to this. If we go back to our passage and we look at it and read it again, what we are submitting to is oneness and unity and harmony and civility because this is God's plan for marriage. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, verse 18 of chapter 5. We're to submit to one another in verse number 21. And wives are to submit to oneness and respect and follow their husbands. Husbands are to submit to oneness and sacrificially love and serve their wives to the degree that Jesus loved and died for the church Husbands and wives are to think in terms of we, not me, and one flesh, not two people. Chapter 5, verse number 31. Here's what the apostle quotes. It says in verse 31 For this reason a man shall leave his father And be joined to his wife And the two shall become one flesh Isn't that interesting Right in the midst of discussion on marriage And talking about it And being full of the Holy Spirit And submitting to one another He says what's really issue, at issue here Is oneness God wants us to be one It is so incredibly important One flesh Bonnie and I celebrated one flesh And we had Philip, Sherry, and Amber Philip and Marie celebrated one flesh and had eight children. Sherry and Aaron celebrated one flesh and had four children. Amber and Eric celebrated one flesh and have three girls that were born. And I'm looking at a whole lot of people across this auditorium where somebody celebrated one flesh, and you're here. How many of you have a mom and a dad? Just raise your hand. they're still living. Raise your hand. How many of you your mom and dad have gone on? I want to tell you something. Moms and dads are very, very important. And if moms and dads can be lovingly committed to one another, they make a great impact and change and effect in this world. Marriage is important. God defines it. Man can't mess with it. Mankind and culture can do anything they want to, but they cannot change the truth and they cannot change the facts. The biggest point of all in marriage is that it has another purpose altogether. I love this. The gospel is at the heart of everything. Pastor Matt ended with the gospel. I'm ending with the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that we fell in Adam. We chose sin. We sin by, we sin by birth. We sin by choice. We sin by preference. We sin in a propitious way. We, we sin because of our sin, we're separated from God. God loved us in spite of our sin, and he took his only son, Jesus. They made a plan together, and he came to earth, and he went to the cross after living 33 years of perfect and sinless life, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He poured out his life and his blood to Purchase sinners to save them from their sin. Oh, what a self-sacrificial. What an abasement to take on humanity. What an abasement to take our sin. What an abasement. What a, what a condescension it is for Jesus to come into the world and do what he did. Do you know what the Bible says that marriage is? Marriage is God's favorite picture of the death of Jesus and the love that Jesus has for his church. Marriage is his favorite symbol. Here's what I want you to know, he says. I speak of a great mystery, but what I'm really talking about is the church. Oh, Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. He poured out his blood. Now, let me ask you a question. Husbands and wives, as we end this morning, is, is, are your habits, your attitudes, your habits and activities are they promoting the picture that God really wants in your home? Is your habits and your attitudes and your activities, do they, do they promote harmony, happiness, joy, encouragement? Men especially, is there an attitude like Jesus has of self-sacrifice? Do whatever it takes to make sure that there's harmony, that there's happiness, that there's joy, that there's love. Is it we or is it just me? Is it I want or is it we need? What is it? What is it in your home? Marriage. I'm not talking about whether you had a divorce or not. I'm talking about the person you are married to right now, which is supposed to be a picture of Christ's love for the church. Is it a good picture? Because this is God's design. This is his favorite picture. I just want to encourage every single husband and wife Family here this morning, those that aspire to be married, oh, make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you understand what God desires. You are God's hope for the world to have a good picture of how much Jesus loves the church. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, please add your blessing, maybe conviction to the message this morning. Your design is marriage between a man and a woman with children, if it's your will, to glorify you. There are many other purposes in marriage, but a major purpose is it's the place for the propagation of the image of God on planet Earth. Help us to be committed to it, help us to let habits and attitudes be eliminated that are operating to the detriment. Of our home, work in our hearts this morning, move us to decide my home, my marriage, its priority. And I'm going to work at it and work on it. And I'm going to sacrifice for it. We ask this in Jesus name.